You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back. I'm super excited of keeping this going and rolling. During this pandemic, I have had a lot of time to really kind of sit down and get some fantastic guests into my show. And today I came across on the internet with Dr. Behavi Solanki, alias Dr. V, which is the best way. Dr. Solanki, hi, how are you? Before I keep going, do you mind pronouncing your name the proper way? Yeah, so the proper way is Behavi Solanki, but you were very close and it was a great effort. <laughs> great. So I, I did my best. I'm sorry. Mine is Alonso Javier Osorio Giraldo, alias Dr. O. <laughs> Some of my nurses call me Dr. Papi, which my wife doesn't like it that much, but... Uh, <laughs> But we do it. So that kind of flows. I like it. Yes. So um, before we get started, I want to thank uh, Next Day Podcast, my editors in the United Kingdom that recently have upgraded and updated their website. And they do all this hard work of going through my recordings and really trimming and making everything sound fantastic. So thank you. And this is a big shout out for them. So if whoever is listening is looking for someone for editing of your podcast and your material, that's the person to go with. And believe me, they're super responsive. And within 24 hours, you'll have your material ready to go. So I'm excited to have you here and thank you for taking an hour of your time to be with me because I know that you are about to begin your residency training in internal medicine. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I think what you're doing here is super great and I've listened to your stuff and I think it's super helpful. And yeah, I'm super excited. I know I keep saying super excited because it's just, it's, like I went into shadowing this morning to the hospital and it felt surreal getting your ID card finally with the word doctor at the bottom is like, gives you goosebumps. It's just, it's all happening so fast, but I'm so, so ready for it. I'm like, bring it on. You're giving me flashbacks because um, <laughs> uh, for me, the experience of having come to this country and becoming a doctor is, is such a long process and finally putting that gown and feeling fully vested and having the yeah. initials and the letters behind your name, you yeah. just feel different. You know, you feel exactly. good about it's it. It's like a whole new you, you know? Yeah, I love it. And it's a huge ego boost. Oh, huge. Well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of imposter syndrome, not going to lie. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, knock on wood, I, the people that I've already talked to part of my program have been very, very welcoming and very encouraging. And they know, you know, like we don't know everything yet and stuff like that. So they're okay. And they're like, we're going to teach you everything. We're going to get you in the ropes. So don't worry. So that's definitely helped push the edge off a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's definitely more excitement than everything. As yeah. you guys can hear, Dr. Solanke is uh, based out of New York right now. And New York, right. 
has those classic sounds that you never get tired of. Is either that or the honking, and and right now it's <laughs> probably still super busy with the whole COVID pandemic. It is, yeah. So. You have joined the State University of New York Sunny Downstate Medical Center for Residency Program. And based off what I obtained of you and the preliminary conversations before we get started, you are international medical graduate. You're an original U.S. Canadian born and raised, and you have gone overseas to St. George's private university to obtain your medical degree. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and what's been like this process so far, doctor. Yeah, so I was born in India and I grew up in Canada. So I'm not American at all. So for me, my sort of like entry to medical school, it was difficult. When you're when you're in Canada, you don't have that many medical schools in Canada. And you know, it's very provincial based. So for me, I only had seven medical schools to apply to in Ontario, which is my province, you know, back in undergrad. And so after going through that process and not obviously getting the best of, of results, you know, getting rejected from the Southern Medical Schools. I sort of had to take a step back and think to myself, you know, like, what should I do? Because there's a lot of different paths, you know, people do their master's and their PhD, people try again. For me, you know, being a doctor was just, just this dream that I have had for so long growing up, and I didn't want to do anything else or be anything else that I was like, I'm not going to put a stop to my pathway. I'm going to see what else is out there. And then that's when I was, you know, introduced to Caribbean medical schools. I personally have had, you know, family friends that have gone through the Caribbean route and they've been very successful and they're practicing physicians now all over USA and Canada. So I heard good things about it. And I'm one of those people, I'm a little bit of a risk taker. So, you know, without even learning too much, I sort of applied, got into St. George's and went on my way. And it was the best decision I made. I don't regret it at all. Looking back, medical school was the best four years and um, it's gotten me to where I am. So I can't complain. So what was Granada like for a Canadian? (laughs) It was amazing. Where do I begin? First of all, the weather, we always, you know, any island, the weather was amazing. I was happy to be away from the winter and snow. Of course, yeah, you know, you miss family and stuff, but once you're really in there, you know, you get busy with studying. Really, everybody thinks that, oh, we're on the beach all the time and partying, but no, we're actually really stuck in a library study. You know, it is it is medical school, but the beauty of, of doing it on an island is when you do have time to kick it back after your exam and you can enjoy, you can really, really have the best time with some of the best people. So Grenada was amazing. I miss it all the time, every day. Anybody else like from Caribbean medical schools, we always, you know, we, we click on that topic is how much we miss the island life and how beautiful. Oh, yes. I can just imagine because I'm, I'm from the yeah. heat of Colombia. So yeah. probably the weather makes a huge difference in the way you feel. I hope you don't get seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not either. <laughs> so... Obviously, many people ask, how do you come up with your guests? What do you do? What kind of research you do, Alonso, to find your, your guests? And I said, well, I look for people that stand out. And simply as I'm looking for material and topics that I would like to talk, I came across Dr. Solanke on the internet, and she has a YouTube channel that has gotten a lot of, of acceptance. And if I'm correct, you have had five to seven videos so far posted in different topics And the purpose of this conversation is not to go over the specific details and repeat what you have already said, but probably brush up on a few things that you have already said that are important for people to know. So these collaborations are crucial because I think the international medical graduate community is big, but doesn't have that much representation on the internet. We get mostly stuff 
from the ECFMG, from the USMLE. And there is a lot of people online that is trying to make money out of us. And my goal and your goal has been to put free content, free material, free advice, what I would consider free online medical education. And the question for you is, what was the motivation that you had behind this personal effort of dedicating hours and hours of editing and preparing for to put some good material on the internet? Yeah, well, to start off, I'm very happy you did find me. That that just shows that, like you said, my efforts are being shown. And you're right. I'm sure, as you know, with this great podcast, it is a lot, a lot of work to film, edit, and put out there and also reply to people's questions because, you know, it's just a flood of questions after that. But the motivation was honestly, I once I matched, you know, I had a lot of people from my own school asking me questions and messaging me on social media like, hey, what is your best advice on this? Or, hey, I'm working on the personal statement. What do you think? There's a lot of different questions. And then I thought to myself, the best way to reach everybody the same advice and to sort of keep that equilibrium and talk about my experiences because people were telling me like, oh, you talking to me about my experience, about your experience has really helped me. And so then they just clicked for me. I, I sort of sat there in quarantine because, you know, by this time COVID had started. So I was sitting around at home doing nothing. And I thought, why don't I use this time effectively, you know, us being in the medical field, we're all sort of type A personality, a little bit of free time. And I got edgy. I'm like, what am I going to do? So then I just started the YouTube channel on a whim. Didn't think too much about it. I made my first video on ERAS application detailing, you know, literally going through my own application step by step and showing people how I did it. And, you know, the outcomes for me were very successful. So I just wanted to genuinely pass on the knowledge. And I did target it towards IMGs because like you mentioned earlier, we do have it a little bit rough. You know, we don't have those you know, pre-med advisors, medical school advisors that hold our hands throughout everything. It's kind of like you're on your own, you know? So I decided I'll just become a one-woman show and sort of pass on this knowledge because I think people need it. And like you said, I've been getting great receptions and a lot of good support. And people have been telling me, you know, these little things that people don't tell you, don't hold your hand through. Letting somebody else know that tiny information could really make a difference. And that's what I've been noticing. So getting that positive feedback, it's like a positive feedback loop now. It just drives me to do more and, you know, collaborate with people like you to reach on a bigger audience level. And since you say something, I do understand that sometimes Canadians are treated a little bit differently through the ECFMG certification. Can you explain yourself a little bit about that? Yeah, so I I think, so in terms of Canadians, we're still grouped as FIMGs, right? I mean, regardless of whether you're Canadian or American, any, like if you're just not American and you went to an outside school, other than an AMG, you're automatically an FIMG, IMG. So it's not too different when it comes to other people from other countries applying. We still have to go through the CFMG certification. We still have to apply for a J1 or H1B visa. So I'm personally on the J1 visa. So I'm still going through the process. And you know, as I talk to my other colleagues, also starting at SUNY Downstate or from India or Europe, we're all going through the same process. So the process is still the same per se. It's not much different from Canadians. So yeah, in that sense, it's pretty much the same. Just out of curiosity, I know that New York is a remarkably people-rich and culture-rich town, and I know that there is a huge congregation of IMGs in the city of New York. Just to get a feeling for your program, first, how big is your program, and out of the size of your program, how many of those are IMGs or FMGs? Right. So for my program, we have, actually, we're one of the biggest programs in New York. We have about 68 people. That includes prelims as well as neuro and, you know, anesthesiology, like all the prelims. So I'm not 
actually too sure on the breakdown of how many prelims there are, but I know there's at least 10. So, you know, if we cut that down, I want to say on a safe bet, maybe 50 people in internal medicine, categorical, I would want to say. But we, we're also really big because we have three sites to rotate on because we have a really big outreach in Brooklyn. But out of those people, I, I can't say too sure how many exactly are IMG, but I can tell you for a fact, there's 16 of us just from my school, which is Caribbean Medical School. And there's at least seven or eight more that are like FIMGs, like from India or from you know Africa and things like that. So there is a big chunk from my own program that is an IMG, but also an FIMG, meaning that they're not Americans who went to Caribbean schools. They're, you know, non-American, non-Caribbean grads as well. So quite a big chunk. And since you say you make the difference in between IMG and FIMG, I would say despite the fact that Everybody has been grouped under the word and or the uh, letters IMG, International Medical Graduate. I think for the purpose of an academic discussion, it's remarkably importantly to know that if you're a U.S. citizen and you train overseas, you're an international medical graduate. And if you are not even a U.S. United States citizen like Dr. Solanke and I, you are considered a foreign a medical graduate, which means that you attended medical school, you were born outside the United States, but obviously the, the ECFMG is treating us all as one. But just for the purpose of understanding what we're talking about, that's huge distinction. I think it makes a big difference at the end. Okay. And you know what? It does. Based on my own experiences, it does because there are programs who, let's say, they say they're IMG friendly. But then if you look at their stats, right, they have nobody on a visa or they have nobody that's not American. So there is a distinction. And I'm glad you made that distinction because like same here, like when you ask, like, you know, is, do Canadians have it differently? No, we're grouped as FIMGs, right? It's only, the, as you said, Americans that go abroad, they're also grouped a little bit differently because it's that visa distinction that makes it between the FIMG versus the IMG. Dr. Solanke, I'm just curious. Yeah. Have you thought about going back to Canada or would you like to establish your practice and remain within the United States? And if you get to stay in the U.S., where in the U.S.? Because I know New York is close to Canada. It's just across the right. border and it's probably closer to your family. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I'm in terms of applying back, when I was studying for my Step 2 CK, I did think about doing the CARMS match, which is a Canadian medical graduate into residency match. Wow. I did end up doing, you know, both the exams for that, which is a NAC OSCE and the MCQEE1 for anyone that doesn't know. Those are the names of the two Canadian exams. But when I got my step two CK score back, I touch wood, did extremely well, looked way better. I had like a 12 point job in my step one. Wow. And then I, I really, you know, through the application for ERAS, I ended up getting great number of interviews. So by then I had decided, you know what, I'm just not going to do the cars match because I wanted to really just go through. And there were programs like SUNY that I loved so much at that point into the game for me that I was like, I'm just going to end up doing the NRMP, so just the U.S. match. So I didn't end up going through with the CARMS match. Thinking in the future, though, I'm not sure. I'm going to sort of leave it up to chance. I'm, I'm like that type of person, like I mentioned earlier. I'm like a risk taker. I'm like a roll with the punches kind of woman. So I haven't planned that far ahead. I'm going to let life take me wherever the best opportunity arises whether that's a fellowship or a practice, whatever, I'm going to take the opportunity. It doesn't necessarily, I'm not geographically bound to anything, which is, is, I'm happy in that, in that limbo. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you about a topic that probably many people don't ask. And this is about being a lady, a woman. What is it like 
to be a woman physician, international medical graduate, going through this process? Is there a disparity or do you think we get you ladies get treated fairly as the male counterparts or you would say it's completely a standard and everybody's treated the same? I mean, I will be 100% honest. That's, that's why I always say on my channel too. You know, I like to keep it real. That's like my motto. So being honest on that part, I think overall, you may not see it on a surface level because I think all programs do a great job in trying to, you know, especially during interviews and stuff, keeping it fair for everybody. If I think back, I, I can recall like a few times where, you know, in a group discussion or something on an interview, everyone's in suits and stuff, you know, trying to even let the thing feel. I've had to, you know, step it up a bit more to get my foot through the door. And I don't know if that's because of gender discrepancy or if that's IMG, AMG discrepancy, because I did interview at university programs where I was the only IMG at one point. I had two of those. So, you know, I felt the pressure. So it could have been a combination of things. But as a female, I've never thought of myself as any different compared to a male. And that's how I was raised. So for me, I don't think of it that way. But in terms of overall, as a female IMG, as you mentioned, yeah, sometimes you have to sort of step it up and really get your foot in the door and, you know, talk up in those group conversations when it's all males in suits talking with, with the big guy of the program. Sometimes you got to make your voice heard, especially when you're just a little tiny female on the side. This is great, great information for all the ladies, because I'm a true believer that uh, the female touch and everything makes everything better. Just talk to my wife. <laughs> so let me recap a little bit about your process, because these leaders, people like you that are putting content, that are standing out, that want to help other people, definitely have a personal motivation and they have been successful at something. This is your time to give back. And that's what you've been doing for the last few months by posting this material on, on YouTube. But what was the process for yourself? How well did you do on the scores? How was the process of matching and how many interviews you got and, and what was the process of matching? Yeah, so I started, I did my, because I came from SGU, right? We have a very huge alumni um, and very huge clinical hubs. So one of the hubs that I chose to rotate at for my entire third year was New York City. When I came to New York City in my third year, I went through the clinical rotations and, you know, I tried to ace all the shelf exams. By then I had already written step one. I did fairly average on step one. I got, you know, um, high 220s, just about 230. And then, you know, I really, really studied super hard during my third year. I got A's on my entire shelf, on all of my shelf grades. I ended up graduating, you know, with honors, like cum laude. So I really, really amped it up then. Like I mentioned, my step two, I did exceptionally better than I thought I was going to do. I had a 12-point job, so I ranked in the 240s for that. I ended up applying to FM and IM, uh, because, not because of a backup or anything. And I know a lot of IMGs think that, oh, you need a backup specialty. My advice for that, really quick aside from the story, is only apply to a backup that you're okay and willing to match into. Because it's going to suck if you match into a backup that you don't like because that's three years of your life. That you're gonna hate and you don't want to do that to yourself. So for me, I was when I was making this decision, I told myself, is one of these specialties a backup for me? And and it wasn't. I would have been just as happy if I matched into FM as I am because I know my future goals and I could do primary care with both of those things. So I was very, very happy. So when I went into the interview process, I ended up with about 27 interviews or 28, one that I didn't go to, but 27 total interviews, which I was really beyond my expectations and a lot of them were university based wow. that I matched into. Yeah. And so for a total of 27 interviews, I ranked 20. I matched into one of my top five. So overall, it was really, really great. Huge learning curve. How many uh, programs did you apply into? So for FM, I applied to about 120 
I mean, don't quote me on exact numbers, but it was definitely more than 100, but it was less than 150. And then for IM, I applied to about 60, 70 programs. And if you don't mind asking, what was the financial investment on this process? Thousands. <laughs> Thousands of dollars. I don't have an exact number because I was one of those people that I had already paid so much for my St. George's medical education. It's a fantastic school and I stand by it because it's given me the career that I have, but it is expensive. And that's just the honest truth. And for a Canadian, I paid that currency exchange into American dollars, which was like 1.34 at some times when I was applying. So it ends up being so expensive. And, you know, I I took a loan because I didn't want to put that on my parents and I wanted to be a self-made physician. So I I was doing it all on loans. And so by the time it came for interviewing and, you know, the entire U.S. application, that extra couple of thousand dollars, I didn't even think past it. I was like, you know what, V, you've worked so hard. You've made it here. I put in that extra money because I just didn't want to look back and say, what if I had applied to more programs? What if I had applied broadly? What if I went to that interview? You know, I even like some people even told me like, once you're after 20 interviews, don't don't bother because you're good. No, I still went to those extra interviews. I gave it my all. And for me, and again, it depends on people's financial circumstances. For me, luckily I did have parents. They were like, if you need that extra dollar on your loan, you know, well, we'll get it for you. So I, I was very blessed in that way that I didn't have too many hurdles when it came that way. But I know everyone's in a different situation, but my advice is go as much as you can because this is not the time for you to stinge on money. You know, you're at that final step. Give it your all at that point. Well, most of the people that we have had over, they have had some significant assistance, sometimes a personal investment and assistance from their families. And I think that they've been just lucky, but not all of us and not many of us or many people out there have this are under the same circumstances. Right. What I would say, guys, don't get discouraged. You'll find a way to find it. If you really want to pursue the dream, there is a way to pay it back. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Once you become a physician in America, you're going to make plenty full of money to save and to pay back whatever debt you will be incurring on. So Dr. Solanke, one question, and I never asked this, and I have had a, a couple grads from the Caribbean. I know that there is a lot of internet trolls out there bashing out the Caribbean's medical school and some specific American grads sometimes look down upon the Caribbean grads. And obviously what you have said so far You obviously said that you're extremely thankful and extremely well prepared with the quality of education that you got. What can you say on that, on on the people that are really trolling around, bashing out the effort that people are putting out there in the Caribbean to make people like you successful and leaders? Yeah, so I would say based on my personality to to all the trolls slash haters out there is that, you know, my school, we had 850 grads match into U.S. residencies. Wow. 850 people. So I would just say, don't feel bad that we're taking some of the best spots you got. <laughs> you know, we're hardworking people. We put it day and night every day because we feel that extra pressure, whether you're a Caribbean grad or an international grad outside, you know, we know how much work we put in. We know we're working day and night to get those scores. We're working day and night to make those connections, to network, to get that USCE, everything. We put in our everything. So when we get those spots and people are kind of, you know, hating on that, I think you should just brush it off and smile because you're going to get to where you want to be and it doesn't matter what anybody else says because you're going to be making that paycheck and not them. Well, you guys heard it. So let's just stop the heat on that one because that was a heated and 
political question there, but uh, there no, is I'm not spreading hate. All love, but yeah, this just a message to all all the people listening. Just don't let it get to you. Keep your head in your game, and that's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. Thank you for being so positive. So I want to get a little bit into the meat and potatoes, but I don't want to go too deep into it because you guys can visit her channel and you can obtain plentiful of information. But Dr. Solanke has spoken really well on tips on ERA's application, the resume or what we call the curriculum vitae or the CV on the LORs and on email etiquette. And also she has spoken clearly about the rank top factors for residency interviewers. And I would like to kind of touch upon those. So let's begin this way by saying the most important things that an FMG IMG has to have when applying to the ERA. Mm -hmm. So I think my number one tip for anyone uh, is please make that deadline. Don't take it as like a grain of salt. No, you need to make that deadline. And as an IMG, I always give this tip to other IMGs. Don't give them more reasons to stigma you. Don't give them more reasons to look down on your application. You need to be equalize yourself. You need to show that you're just as good as any AMG. In order to do that, you need to have a strong application, which means start early. You know, the token came out June 23rd recently. If you haven't already gotten that, purchase that off OIT. Purchase that off Oasis, the CFMG website. Get familiar with, with the software interface and the portal and start that application. There's things that you can do right now, you know, whether that's basic information, putting in your medical school credentials, whatever it is, start early, be done on time and have it professional. Don't put bullet points. And I, like you mentioned, I go in more detail on the YouTube videos about where it should be formal writing, paragraphs, bullet points, but all these little things do matter. And I know because I sat there hours and hours researching every single portion of the ERAS application. And that's how I was able to put it together into a video format after. You know, I just didn't want other people to have to go through the stress that I went through. You know, every section I was like, how do I organize? Because there's no instruction. You know, that's the part of it. There's no instruction. You just, you fill it out the way you want to fill it out. But there is, in my opinion, a proper way to fill it out. So I think that's my best advice overall. Start early, prepare well. And, you know, make deadlines for yourself. Tell yourself, I want to have, you know, my, my personal statement in on this day. I want to have my hobbies and interests done on this day. Make deadlines for yourself and make sure that when that deadline comes, and this year it's changed because of COVID, but you need to make that deadline. Do not give them another reason to not accept you equally. You said it very well. And you use also a fantastic word that is extremely famous in 2020, which is COVID. Yeah. What are the specific situations for certain applicants, for all of us as applicants during the 2020 season or this year? What are we dealing with? What were the considerations that were put in place? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've been hearing quite a few things, you know, since the channel, people have been reaching out to me, you know, through email and stuff, asking me specific questions. So I've had to sort of research to help them out too. So, so far, I know if everybody checks the AMC website, they have a timeline as they do every year they have one specific for imgs which what which also showed that the token you know came out on june 23rd follow that timeline because it's going to show you that the deadline has been extended to october you know that means the interview season is shifting but also the interview season is now fully virtual if anybody didn't know and amc has a pdf on virtual interviewing as well what's well, going to like the entire PDF goes through what the process is going to be, how it's going to be virtual, what's going to be different. And so to get detailed information on that, it's on the AMC website. It's a PDF called Virtual Interviewing. They have the IMG timeline, which is specific for COVID year and going through when things are going to be due, what's going to be an extension and whatnot. 
it has changed. Usually it's September, but this year, you know, it's been extended by a month to October, late October. So people do have more time. That being said, you know, just because you have the extra month doesn't mean you don't start right now. You start right now. Perfect. This is great that you're saying this. I, I like to keep my material evergreen, but yeah. it's, it's extremely hard because things are ever changing in medicine and obviously during this whole application process. And this right. year has been exceptional. So as Dr. Solanke said, guys, don't hesitate. Get it done early. Get it done soon. Collect that information that you need to gather. And, and I know you're going to be requesting plentiful of material from your uh, medical school. So I know that the Caribbean's medical schools are really good at providing that into the portal. But some of us like Colombia, you know, are, are sometimes really hesitant. And now that I'm after 21 years in this country and having been credentialed across probably 25 hospitals in the U.S. to this new job that I'm applying, I'm going through the painful process of them requesting credentials from my medical school. And I'm having the need to go and ask my mom to go and knock on the window of the clerk that is responsible to put one label and one stamp and one signature to facilitate this documentation that was supposed to be sent via a snail mail, not DHL, not FedEx, just regular Colombian mail all the way to the United States. So I asked my mom to go and pick it up, put it in an envelope and ship it via DHL or FedEx overnight to the US so I can gather this paper and submit it on time. So just be mindful of the hurdles, right? Yep. So you also have a fantastic episode on, on, on the resume. I call it resume, guys, but also it's CV, which stands for curriculum vitae. That's how you pronounce it. Yeah, curriculum vitae. And um, there's always, obviously, we spoke with Dr. Shala yesterday, and he's coming on to the show soon. We, we spoke that it's pretty structured. I mean, there is a CV that you kind of walk in into your interviews for a job or college and stuff like that. You just fill in the information and it kind of is a standard for everybody. Anything that you can expand on regarding the CV? Yeah, so I followed, you know, the SGU template for the CV, which is what my video is on. But what type of template you said? So my school, St. George's, they have their own template for it. So that's what I use. And that's what I talk about in the video because... Anything I talk about in the video is based on my own experiences and exactly what I did. So I go through the entire chapter that I talked about, but as I was researching for more other applicants, I noticed that AAMC also has a template right on their website that if anybody's struggling with the template or not knowing what sections to put, you can go on the AAMC website for match season and you can find a template there too. But I would say general tips, keep it simple and neat. This is not the time to, you know, go overboard on any graphics or anything. You want it to be professional, simple, and make sure, I always tell people, put your ERAS picture on the CV. Anything you're doing with any program communicating, including your email, CV, everything, have that ERAS picture. Let them, you know, have a face to the name that they're looking at, that they're talking about. But overall, I would say CV, keep it short. And, you know, keep it as a snapshot of you. That's how I like to call it. Because you have the ERAS application to add a lot more depth to things, you know, because you have bigger spaces. That's not the time. The CV is not the time to go detailed. The CV is a time for you to show, look at the number of things I've done quantitatively. So that's sort of definitely my best two or three pieces of advice for CV. What do you think are the very few things that you can probably put on the uh, on the resume, like interest or things that you, you, you like that? could potentially enhance the or ease up the conversation during the interview you're attending? What, what kind of things could people put? Like in my case, tennis yeah. was the thing and my program director was a tennis freak and he had a broken tennis racket behind his head and that was like the hook, the connection. And right. when he saw tennis, we talked for 10 minutes about tennis. Right. Yeah, that happens. 
That happened to me also. Well, what, where were you put in that little area? Yeah, so for interests, I, I had it the same as my hobbies and interest section on ERA. So, you know, like I always say, you know, it's supposed to be parallel. Anything you're putting in your CV, make sure it shows in ERA. So I had a few of my own hobbies and interests. I'm actually a serial hobbyist, as I like to say, and that came up every interview. They're like, what does that mean? It just means that once I really, you know, do a hobby, I move on to another one because I get bored really fast as a as what's their personality. But there were many times, like you mentioned, you need to find that click with people. And that's, that's what's going to make you those interpersonal skills that you show on your interview. That's what's going to make them remember you. I remember so many interviews, like for example, cooking came up a few times. Actually, one of the people that interviewed me, this is a West, West Virginia internal medicine interview. She and I emailed after that, sharing recipes with each other wow. based on what we were cooking in the air fryer. That's, you know, that, that connection you make is so important. And same thing, you know, I swim. And so I had PD talk to me about swimming and they take it right off of your hobbies and interests section. And that's the best way for you to talk and get to know who's interviewing you. And when you make those follow-up thank you emails, that's the stuff you're putting in the emails. Like, oh, I remember we talked about this recipe on blah, blah, blah in your air fryer. Oh, I'm sending you another one, you know, and that's how you make those connections. And when they sit down to, you know, rank you and think about you, that personal connection that you made, that's what they're going to remember. Not your scores, not the research you did, you know, those little connections. That's what they're going to remember, especially if you're a pleasant person. I think you have said the greatest things because you, you have put all your information there. They went through it. It's why we have to have you in the problem. Why do we want to have Dr. Solanke? Why is she bringing on? Obviously, right. she's bringing a very vivacious personality. She's a happy person. She's joyful, spontaneous. She's a happy talker, brings this huge energy to herself, etc. So that's what the interview becomes. It's like, tell me about yourself and why you like life? Because being a doctor is more than being a doctor. I tell you through the clinical part is important but in during those three years or five or seven you're going to be interacting with other people correct right yeah and people forget that put things that are not medically related please show them that there's many facets to you as as a person show them that you have a life outside of medicine that's how you're gonna like you just said build those connections when you're working with teams and residents you want to be somebody that they're going to get along with and work in. Residents will look out for that. I had resident interviews as well. And all we talked about was, oh, like, what do you do on your free time? What are you watching nowadays? A lot of the non-medical questions. And they're also interviewers. You know, residents are also interviewers. You want to be able to connect with people from all sorts of aspects in medicine, all sorts of age groups, categories, roles. You want to be able to connect with anybody and everybody. Well, that was gold, guys. Please uh, listen to this twice. Just play back 30 seconds twice. And you better get back to this section because that was the meat and potatoes that I wanted to hear. Dr. Solanke, moving on. Tell yeah. us about LORs. And I know they're extremely difficult to be obtained for people like me. They're foreign medical grads. They're hard to get from very well-renowned people in your specialty that are chiefs of the department or they have a, a lot of educational commitment and blah, 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 all these wonderful things. I had five, seven different letters of recommendation. Some of them were extensive. Some of them were one paragraph. And I just... I don't know. I, I think that's one of the reasons why it took me four matches to, to kind of get on board. So can you tell us about what things we should be looking for on the LORs? Yeah. So LORs, it, it's a difficult one, like you said, because it's so much of it is dependent on who your letter writer is, making sure your letter writer gets it in on time to make your 
you know, your application be on the deadline and you want to choose strong LOR writers. You know, it's ranked the second most important thing in terms of program directors looking at what to interview you, right? So I made this video, the top ranked factors, it's number two. And it's important because they want to see a U.S. clinician or any clinician write that you're going to be a good clinician. So their word is important. That's why having specific things about you as a student, as a medical future doctor is very important in this letter. So in regards to what you said, choosing letter writers, right? And I go into this in my video. I approached it because I came across the same dilemma that everybody has. Should I get like an okay letter? I didn't work with the PD. Should I ask him for a letter? What should I do? Who is the best person? I came across the same dilemma and I took it as I want a strong letter. So I asked people that I worked with one-on-one. -on -one. And out of, like you said, we get a lot of letters. Out of, I think, the eight or nine letters that I had, I only had one program director, and that was in pediatrics, not even in any of the specialties I was applying to. Because I chose letter writers not based on their status, but based on the quality. And I chose people that I worked with one-on-one, -on -one, you know, whether that was cases, whether that was rounding every day, whether that was, you know, going through the clinical experience. People that I also, like I just mentioned, tried to have a connection outside of work. You know, I would go to this attending after rounds and we would, I would try to spark a conversation in something else just to make myself stand out because you are competing with a lot of people in the hospital, depending on where you're doing your rotations, you know, where your USCE is. So I chose quality letter writers. And I think that showed because in a lot of my interviews, people said, oh, Dr. So-and-so wrote so highly about you. Tell me about this clinical experience you had with them because they would write in the letter, you know, and I got them to do this because I prepared well for the LORs. This is my second biggest tip is take a cover letter, take your personal statement, take your CV when you're requesting for this letter or email them whenever because you want to give them content to write in your letter. The most important thing is having a specialty specific strong letter. A generic letter is going to be okay just to get the letter, but that's not going to do you any good when you're getting compared to other applicants who have stronger letters, right? So I don't think if you're getting tripped up on, oh my God, the program director or the department chair is, is not writing me a letter, that's okay. Your priority should be specialty specific letters. So for example, just to highlight my own application. So I had four LORs in IM. Two of those were internal medicine clinicians. One of them was a pediatrician and one of them was an OBGYN. But all four of those letters were IM specific, meaning that all four of those letters gave the programs reasons why I'm good for IM. Same thing with FM. I had four FM letters. Two of them were for FM docs. One of them was for peds and another I think was, I want to say from OB or surgery, one of the two, I can't remember right now. But again, all four of those were FM related, meaning Every single letter wrote reasons why I would be a good FM doctor. So that's what I mean. You want strong, specialty-specific letters. It's okay, you know, that I had one attending that just became an attending, too, to keep it very frank. He was, like, you know, just finishing residency, but when I was working with him. But he chose to write me a letter because he knew I, like, you worked with him every day on floors. And he was like, of course I'll write you a letter, you know. He's seen me work. He's seen me grow that's what's going to make a strong letter is them writing, oh, I work specifically on this patient case. This is what Dr. Solanke did on the case. This is how she helped on the team. The skills and qualities that are coming out of your experiences going into a letter. These are the things that programs ask me about. Not, oh, you wouldn't have any, you know, program director from internal medicine. Nobody asked me that. People ask me, wow, this internal medicine told, or this internist said, 
you would be great as a hospitalist. How do you feel about that? That's what came out. And so that's what's important, I think, that I want to share. Were you surprised by the fact that since you waived the right to see the letter with the things that they brought up? Because sometimes they brought it up in your interview and you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe he wrote that on my behalf. 100%. Yeah, there were tons of times. And, and you know, don't underestimate what people can question you from the EROS, okay? They can question you. Once you put it and submit it on that paper, they can ask you anything and they will ask you everything. These are where the interview questions are coming up. So yeah, based on what you said, I was very surprised. Sometimes like, you know, I took a step back and I was like, wow, they were such nice things based on what the interviewer was telling me. And you know, oh, I was just so blessed with the connections I made. And another, just going off that, another tip, please don't forget to thank your letter writers. I sent a handwritten card to every letter writer, not knowing whether, you know, what they put in the letter, just the fact that they took the time out to do that. I think you should always, always personally thank your letter writers. But yeah. And I have said this before. I wrote, you know, with my own penmanship, a beautifully written little postcard with one paragraph statement to Dr. Aaron Osborne that became then later on my best friend during residency program. But he said, you, Alonso, were the only one of all these people that I interview that had the courtesy to send me a personalized Thank you note. And I will never forget that. And we click from the get go. So I think that helped, but he never forgets that whole thing. They don't, they don't forget those things. Well, since you said about uh, following up with people and exchanging uh, dry fryer cooking recipes, you went on to uh, speak on one of your videos about email etiquette. Right. And I know that the way we Colombians or Argentinians or Chinese or Russians or Indian doctors write emails is very different to the American standard etiquette that they have. And it's extremely, extremely difficult. My wife personally said, Alonso, you have to stop being so dramatic, get to the point and write only the facts. So (laughs) speaking about etiquette, what can you say? The few golden tips that you can mention on that. Right. So it's funny that you you said it this way, because when I thought of the email etiquette video, it's because I had people like IMG saying, how do I talk to a program? Like, What do I say? Like, do they even care? Like, are they going to read this? You know, very basic questions. And I I laughed to myself like I am right now. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to make a video on how I did it because you're right. There is an etiquette to do it, in my opinion. You don't want to come off too strong. I always say the words, you got to strike a balance of everything in your life. And that includes, you know, emails in this case. You don't want to come off too strong. You know, you don't want to right off the bat tell programs like, you're my number one. No, don't do that. Keep it, you know, very professional, very brief. So as I was saying, don't also not send any because like you said, people remember. People do remember whether you send a handwritten card or an email. So in my emailing etiquette, the, the tips I said was you want to definitely, I limited. So I sectioned it as to various parts of the application process. So before interview season, during ERAS, before any interviews, I didn't have any communication with programs because I focused on getting those LORs, finishing my application. And so I didn't have any communication. Once interview season started, the best advice that a lot of people say is wait a couple of weeks till you hear back. Don't submit the ERAS button and then start emailing like crazy. No, please don't do that because you don't want to come off annoying to programs. Again, you want to come off professional. So I would say, wait a couple of weeks, okay? So I didn't email any letter of interest, which I'm going to talk about right now. 
But I had people in my school that did because they felt like, you know, after four or five weeks, they weren't hearing back from programs and then they got nervous. So when I talked to these friends of mine, letter of interest is what you send very brief email to programs that you desire, not the hundred, you know, pick certain programs. You're like, this is, this is a program that I really love. Research that program. Okay. And write in the email, introduce yourself. First of all, send it to the program director or program coordinator, introduce yourself. Talk about why very briefly, like you said, not dramatic, not paragraphs, and very briefly, why you're interested in this program, what aspect of the program that you've researched that you love and you think you're going to be a good fit. Okay. I'm going to say it again. Why you think you're going to be a good fit. Write that in the email. Ask very nicely, professionally. I would love to interview with your program if given the opportunity. Something simple like that. Sign it at the bottom with your email signature, which includes your AAMC ID, your phone number, your contact information, and your ERAS picture. And I go into more of that also, like making that email signature and send it to a few key programs and wait to hear back. My friends that did this during the application last year, they heard back like the next day. Some of them heard back weeks later saying, okay, yeah, we can invite you for an interview. No problem. That's extra opportunity for them. So that's called letter of interest. Okay. And I go into more details. Letter of intent. If I did this personally, so I didn't do letter of interest because again, I had no idea I was going to get this many interviews. And by that time I was tired and I was like, no more, I'm okay. The letter of intent is different. This is after interview season, before match, you want to tell your top three or top five programs that you're going to be ranking them very high. That's called letter of intent. And you can put the subject letter of intent because they know what it is. Programs have got, been getting this for years. You can just put that as a subject. You can write to your top choice program. I only sent one, of course, saying, I'm ranking your number one. And again, briefly saying in the email, again, introducing who I was the day that I interviewed with them. I interviewed with you on Thursday, December, blah, blah, blah. I hope you remember me because I was a student that talked to you about et cetera, et cetera. This is why it's important to have that personal connection on the interview. And that's what I said. I hope you remember me. We talked about playing tennis, whatever it was, right? Just as an example. And then you send that and you say, I'm ranking you number one. The other programs that I ranked two to five, I just said very professionally, very brief. I'm ranking you very highly. Let's see how the match process comes out. And that's it. Three to five letter of intents. Only one saying you're my number one. And you send it off and then you kick it back till match day and you just wait and see what happens. Don't stress that too much because you've done your job. So that's what I mean. Strike a balance. Don't go overboard. Pick the programs that you want to email. Be very professional. Be very brief. Get your point across and get your foot through the door. And I know I'm going to be asked this uh, on the comments on the podcast within the regulations by the ECFMG and the USMLE. I'm really glad you brought this up. So I, that's actually a very important thing that I missed out. If a program says, do not email us, we're not going to read your love letters. We don't care. Whatever it is. Programs have their own rules, right? They have their own ECGME rules that they follow. If they say, don't do it, please don't do it. Follow their rules. You know, don't go thinking that, oh, maybe if I send them a letter, it'll make me stand up. No. If they say no, follow the rules. There's programs that are going to say, you can send it. You may not get a reply. And that, that's the truth. You know, letter, like follow-up thank you emails. Like after the interview, I would send each program a thank you. I may not get responses. I may not get, or I may get something very brief, like, oh, thank you. It was nice to meet you. That's it. I didn't let that get me discouraged. I didn't let that get me down. I still sent my thank you emails. So I would say do what's in your comfort zone. If you're somebody that wants to send something very brief, do it. Don't think too much about it, but be very professional. And I keep harping on that. Be professional, you know, don't send anything that's too much, too extra. If programs respond, great. If they don't, it's fine. You're doing your job like you are supposed to keep doing it. Based on the program's rules, they will follow their own criteria. Some programs will respond, some will not. 
that's okay. So I think you're not breaking any rules when you're sending letters of interest or letter of intent. Don't overdo it. Do it in your own comfort zone. But I don't think it's a bad idea to try and send those. Something that you just said I really liked and was to finish your emails with your personalized signature, your name, your AAMC ID number, yeah. your cell phone, your email, and then you set a picture. And you brought up this whole picture thing earlier before to post it on your CV as well. So when you took your picture, being this a picture that is going to be sent hundreds and hundreds of times across the web, what kind of quality of picture? What was the amount of makeup that you had on it? What was your hair like? being health, what right. was the, the type of clothing that you were using, what was the f demeanor and expression, I don't know, all these silly things that could make you no, stand no, out. No, they're important. No, you're right. They're not silly. They're actually details that I think are important. So if anybody, I mean, after this, I can post my Instagram. You can go on and you can see my ERAS picture because I have it up there. So and I talk about it in my ERAS application videos because there are guidelines to this picture. And ERAS has a PDF that talks about it. And you can Google it on the AMC website talking about the headshot. So it's going to be a headshot. I would say shoulder up. I personally, because I was in America at the time, I got a group on for, you know, a head, like a professional photographer within a hundred dollars. I was able to get the headshot. And like you said, that picture went everywhere. Okay. When people are sitting down in their teams and their programs after the interview ranking you, they look at this picture. You want to make sure it's pleasant. I had a smile. I had very brief makeup, but also it depends. I, when it comes to makeup with females, I, I have to say, do it in your comfort zone. Okay. I'm somebody that doesn't wear too much makeup to begin with. So I went what I was comfortable with. If you're somebody that likes a bit more makeup, do it. I would say don't go excessive, make it professional. So have it a little bit more neutral, but if you like to do more makeup, that's okay. You know, do it in your comfort zone. I wore a professional shirt with a blazer and I also got a second one with a white coat. I ended up sending my blazer one on ERAS, keeping my white coat on the side, but I had that same picture properly edited, you know, formatted. I had a smaller version of it on my email signature. So that way, you know, when they opened my email, it wasn't just a huge picture of my face. It was small at the very end. For ERAS, I made sure it was the proper size. And like I said, if you Google AMC or ERAS picture, a document, a PDF should come up highlighting the requirements and it'll show you the size and stuff. So where you get your headshots, You can request a photographer to make sure that they send it to you in a certain size. But yeah, just a professional picture. I smiled. My hair was down. I was okay with it. And but luckily, you know, I hope people liked it. I didn't like it as much. So I, you know, but once you get it, just, just send it off. Send it off. And, and obviously current, you don't want to send a picture of you no, please, 200 yeah. pounds heavier or with horrible, yeah. disheveled beard. You know, you want to be easily identified. That's the whole point. When you walk into an interview, you bet they've already looked at your application. They've already looked at your picture. So if you stood out to them in a certain way on your application, when you're in a big crowd, like New York programs always have very big interviews, you're going to stand out. You know, their picture, they know what you look like in your pictures. So you want to, like you said, have a very current picture. So I took my picture you know, a month, or I would say like roughly about a couple of weeks to a month before my application was due. And I had that picture. Like I said, once I got that picture, it went into my ERAS, it went to my CV to upload. It went into my email signatures. And throughout the entire cycle, that picture haunted me forever. Wow. <laughs> like the entire way. So picture is very important. It's a little detail, but I think it's like, it goes a long way if you utilize it the right way. 
Well, this has been about an hour plus of interaction, but I don't want to stop this right now because I know sometimes it's hard to listen through a long podcast, but this one for the people that are really interested in to coming in, into America is full of gold. So let's wrap it up by saying this. I know that you have an episode of the uh, top factors for recent interview, the ranked top factors for recent interviews, and you say that it's 10 of them. What are those briefly? Well, there are actually more than 10 and you, okay. and everybody can go on the NRMP site. So NRMP, that's where I got like the public, it's public information. They publish PDF data, like data that they have collected through match cycles throughout the year. And they have this thing called program director survey guide, which actually I didn't hear about till like last minute. And that's why I do this to share the information. If you can know this about this earlier before your application, you can gear it away okay and even if you're starting med school and you're hearing this even better because you already know the end goal you already know what they're going to be looking at so there's more than 10 in the program directors i focus on the 10 just because you know limited time on the video and i wanted to really develop details about those so i broke it up to quantitative and qualitative factors so for a lot of people we have difficulty on those quantitative factors you know and i mean actually i take that back people have difficulties depending on what their strengths and weaknesses are for some people the step scores, which are about, I think, three or four of the 10 are based on your scores, step one, step two, CK, your clinical grades, as well as your overall transcript. So four of the 10 are quantitative measures. So you must have already been working on that throughout med school before you're applying. There's another four or five LORs, personal statements, your um, the interactions that you have you know, with the program, whether you know somebody in the program, that's also in the top 10. So there's also four or five qualitative factors. And I want to highlight this because this is so important for people that get bogged down by their scores. You have four or five things that they're going to look at that's not related to your scores. That's wow. about you as a person. And you can really amplify this on your application. So when I say start early, work on that personal statement, get the juicy details, show them that you have so much more caveats to you as a person as opposed to your score. Because yes, they will be looking at your scores because everybody wants an intelligent physician. You know, that's what the whole point of medicine is. You want to be in touch with physician, but there's so many parts in your application that I highlighted that you can work on now at this moment that will amplify your application. So, you know, look into that video, look into the program director survey, read the PDS that NRMP has there on the previous year's match data to give yourself an idea. Okay, if I'm applying to the specialty, you know, and, and they have these PDS up there based on specialty specific, like if you're applied to anesthesiology, you can look at, IMGs versus AMGs, the average scores, you know, the average number of experiences, the average number of researches that they have. So a lot of things make your application and every video, you know, people laugh because you're like, you say everything is important. I'm sorry, but everything is important. You know, every part of this application is important. So focus, give every part the time that it needs. And so that's really what that, what that video goes into. And I'm sorry, I talk so much, Dr. O, but, you know, it's just, I'm going off just genuinely my passion about wanting to help people. It is a, it is a blessing yeah. that you're doing this because it's full of goodness. I know we're going to have plenty of yeah. download. So you look like you're a very nice person. I, I don't know you in person, but this interaction has been uh, really uh, nourishing into to getting to know who you are. Let me ask you something personal. What has been the happiest moment so far in your life 
throughout this process since you decided to make the decision to become a doctor? Oh my gosh, that's that's a good one. It's an easy one for me. It's when I got my diploma in the nails because of COVID. You know, everybody couldn't get that grand graduation that we all wanted. Um, I didn't let it affect me too much because I my blessing was I was able to be with my family during quarantine. And that's probably going to be the last few chunks of month, like that much time quantitative that I would have the family. And when my diploma came in, my dad came in and, and gave me the diploma in my hand. He's like, you did it. And that was the happiest moment, you know, because coming from an Indian family, you know, the smile that I can put on them, they're on immigrant parents' faces, knowing that, showing them that you have worked so hard being an immigrant in a new country when they came and I was young and pushing me towards education and emphasizing education being a stepping stone. Because I know for me, this is not it. You know, I know I can achieve more greatness than what I have, but having an MD stepping stone Oh my gosh, just seeing my parents, that was just the happiest, happiest moment. It made all of the hours and hours of work and the hard work and the tears really, you know, feel like nothing when your parents tell you that they're proud of you and that they can tell everybody else now that, oh my God, my daughter is a doctor. You know, that moment, that was the happiest moment. Awesome. Well, and now let's talk about the saddest, the moment (laughs) that was like the almost ready to break down from the moment you started. Yeah, so let me paint a picture for you because I'm pretty good at that. So I would have to say, just prefacing, I if you haven't heard me already through the talk, I'm a pretty optimistic, happy-go-lucky person to begin with. Yeah. So I really try to roll with life's punches. And, you know, I know from a very young age, you know, growing up in a tough society and neighborhood that life will throw you curveballs and it's how you you know, make the best of the situation. So I usually don't like to get bogged down to begin with. And that's very unique about me. I think it's just roll with the punches. But that being said, I I wouldn't say the saddest part, but a very difficult time that I had was if I could paint the picture, I was in my surgery core rotation. So the hours were already insane. Brutal. I had, um, and you know, surgery can be a little bit of toxic environment. I'm going to be very honest. It is. And it was fascinating. It's very true. You know, people aren't, aren't the nicest. I had to study for my shelf exam. I had only two weeks of dedicated CK studying time. And I had been working so hard for CK because I wanted to show that I could do better. And that's another tip I want to add that show growth between your step one, step two, step three, you know, show them that, okay, even if my step one wasn't the best, look at me, I can grow if given the opportunity, right? So I wanted to show that to programs that I can grow. So I was studying for step two, had surgery. I was moving also in Brooklyn. If anybody's lived in New York, moving by myself as you know, a young person, a young female moving by myself, it was tough, but I had to do it because of, you know, how swim. so there was, and I had something else going on in my personal life because we all know life never stops, you know? So I had so many crazy, difficult situations being thrown at me that it was a very tough time. And I had moments where I had to take a step back and just think to myself, how am I going to do it all? It was overwhelming. You just thought, you know, and I just, I have a little, I you know I have my own face. So I, I just prayed that get me through this, whatever energy is out in there in the world, get me through this. And I want to come out of the strong. And that's what happened. It was a tough, tough few months, but I ended up doing well on, on my CK. I got that A on the shelf exam. I moved with all of my stuff in one piece and, you know, and then interviews started for me and there was no stop. I had no rest because the day I wrote my step two CK was Friday. The Monday I started my elective rotation to get that last LOR. So it didn't stop, but I just, you know, I focus on the vision and I focus on the future. And if you, if you guys can make yourself that person that you know, write down your goals on a sticky note because I do that every day while I was studying. I would look at the sticky note and be like, this is who I want to be. I want to be a future, strong, future female physician. And, and that's where I am today. 
And if you keep those goals in head in your vision, it's going to come out. Law of attraction, it'll happen. Well, let me wrap it up this way. If I was a residency program director today, and after we had finished this interview, I would say that I want you on my team. So if there is something that I could convey to my listeners today is the fantastic positive attitude that Dr. Solanke has. I know we are all different. I know we all have different personalities, but just by looking her tone, the movement of her voice, the nonverbal expression skills that she has, she speaks um, very much with her face and gestures and uses her hands appropriately. That all plays a role in how people perceive you. So if you can work a little bit on how to improve yourself, not changing, but how to improve yourself, I'm not asking you to become someone that you're not because it's going to show eventually during your first few months, but just be yourself, correct? I could not agree more. I mean, not to take up too much time, but just to add on to that tip of advice, going through the interview and that many interviews is, yes, you don't have to be the most outgoing person. But just know that for a little amount of time, you have to show yourself and brag about yourself. So take the opportunity. This is not the time to be shy, even if you're a naturally shy person, because a lot of my friends are. But I told them time and time again throughout interviews, just step out of your comfort zone and trust me, trust the process, be yourself, step out of the comfort zone and show them reasons why you're going to be a fantastic doctor and it will work out for you. And even my friends that have been the most introverted friends, They've landed their top residencies because they know they stepped out of the comfort zone in the interviews and they gave them reasons why. And this is your time to brag, so take that time. Sorry, I'm going to stop talking because I've just been saying so much. But like Dr. O said, you know, even if you're not the most outgoing person, interview is not the time for you to be shy. No, you've got to show yourself and you've got to show your qualities because you worked hard. So make sure they know you've worked hard. Awesome. Well... I know that there is going to be a lot of people clicking into your channel, subscribing, looking through your feeds. I learned so much about you through the material that you post. And this is being put on the internet. It's potentially to be heard by hundreds of thousands of people. So how do we get a hold of you, Dr. Solanke? How? I know that on on Wednesday, you're going to be Dr. Solanke, super busy at Sunny State University in New York. But today, Monday, we're two days away from this moment. I know you're going to be busy and might not be able to get back with everybody right away. But how do we get a hold of you and what can we expect from the future coming more from you because people maybe want to keep hearing back from you. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. With that being said, you know, residency around the corner, but I'm definitely someone that I always say this to people. I may be late, but I will make it to you. You know, whether that's you, if you email me and that's the Solanke, vs.solanke.md at gmail.com. Or if you link me on Instagram, that's at the rate I am Dr. V underscore, or if you just comment on my YouTube channel, I promise Whether it's sooner or later, I will get to you because my biggest goal is I want to make sure everybody's personal questions are answered. And so you can look me up on YouTube, which is BMD. And, you know, or if you Google ERAS applications, someone told me the other day I come first. So if you Google that, um, you'll be able to find me. So I'm, I'm very active on social media. So if anybody has burning questions, that's how you find me. As you said it, and this is a call to action to our followers and listeners. If you like it, if you had sat through an hour and a half of listening <laughs> to this material, and if you think that Dr. Solanke did a good job and I did a good job by bringing 
out all this information from her, we beg you, please leave us a review, a comment. Dynamic interaction on her channel is crucial to bump up her videos to the top of the search list because remember, YouTube is just like a Google search engine and is owned by Google. So the more you look for her, the, the more likes, the more subscriptions that she got, we're not going to send you trash. We're not going to give you painful, hurtful information. We're here to grow and we want to grow with you guys. So leave us a feedback. Leave us a five-star review if we deserve it. Yes. And share it because that's the only way to keep growing. And, you know, you guys keep us motivated and, and yeah. that's why we're here, right? Yes. And please, like, just based off what you said, like, share this podcast with people. Share, you know, content because we helping other people is how we're going to continue getting the IMG voice out there. It's how we're going to continue. And, you know, helping somebody get to their goal is such a great good deed to do for somebody. So, yes. yeah. Just based off what you said, please share, share this podcast and let other people know that there are sources and there is help out there. People want to help you. So, well, Dr. Solanke, thank you so much for being here today. And guys, follow up on fmg-imgcast.com, soon to be osoriomd.com. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Next episode coming soon. Bless you all. Thank you.